Welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm, brought to you by FunkinStuff.net. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am your host, Scott Dr. G.X. Wolfine, musicologist, creative arts journalist, and multimedia pro. Whether you're watching the video version of this show or the audio-only podcast version, I thank you so much for your continued interest and support in this show. If you enjoy this programming, there are several ways to help support Truth and Rhythm, as well as contribute to further enhancements and expansion, plus get some sweet perks and rewards in the process. First, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube, which is where Truth and Rhythm lives, and be an advocate by spreading the word among fellow funk, jazz, and R&B music lovers. Second, join Truth and Rhythm's new membership program through Patreon, which features three tiers for truth believers, truth seekers, and truth crusaders. You can also submit a direct donation to the cause anytime at funkinstuff.net. At that site, which is loaded with awesome content, you can also purchase the book, Everything's on the One, The First Guide of Funk. Shop for official Truth and Rhythm and Funk and Stuff merchandise and use the Amazon links for all of your online purchases, which allocates a percentage to this show. Sponsorship opportunities are available as well. Contact me directly at scottg at funkinstuff.net. For those of you who go the extra step in supporting the show, you have my heartfelt gratitude for allowing us to continue to shine the light on those special artists whose quest is to find truth in rhythm. I'm delighted to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership guitarist, singer, composer, and producer, Clarence Chet Willis. He, of one of the greatest funk soul bands of all time, the mighty Ohio Players. Beginning in 1975, he became a mainstay with the group, trading guitar licks with the legendary Leroy Sugarfoot Bonner, and joining keyboardist Billy Beck and drummer James Diamond Williams, both of whom have been on Truth and Rhythm as guests uh, on backing vocals. And of course, they had the amazing hits, so many of them, but Skin Tight, Fire, Fob, Sweet Sticky Thing, Hoochie Coo, and on and on. Willis Beck and Williams later formed the spinoff band called Shadow, and all of them have more recently been performing as today's version of the Ohio Players. Chet, so good to see you. How are you? I'm fine, Scott. How are you, man? I'm doing well. That's good. Yeah. During these particular times, it's good to hear somebody say they're doing well, you know. Yep, it is good. So I, I, um, I don't think I could be better if I could be better. Um, you know, it's, it's beyond my imagination right now, but I'll take it. <laughs> so where are you coming to us from today, Chet? I'm coming to you from Buford, Georgia. 
which is just north of Atlanta. And actually, uh, I just moved, my wife and I, we just moved here to Buford on January 1st. Actually, December 31st, and I woke up January 1st here in our new house. So, yeah, coming from Georgia. I've been a Georgia resident, actually, for the last 20 years. You know, I moved down here from Dayton. Mm. Yeah. So a little bit warmer climate. Oh, I got to have it because I have issues. <laughs> yeah, I, I need the warmer climate because me and uh, my particular issues as far as uh, dealing with snow and stuff like that. If I never shovel snow again in my life, that'll be too soon, you know. <laughs> That's what I hear folks say. I, of course, grew up in Los Angeles. So now that I'm in Charlotte, just up the road from you a little bit. Yeah, uh, you know, seeing some snow now and then is a thrill for me. So, oh yeah, you know, um, it's funny when we moved down here in two thousand. I think we brought the snow with us because they had a snow a snowstorm. We moved we moved to Georgia in January of two thousand, and it was snowing in Dayton at that particular time. We got down here a few days later. They had to shut the city down because of snow. And we were like, wow, we've never seen a situation where they shut the city down. You know, being in Dayton, Ohio, snow's just the regular, you know. But I love it. You know, I love I love this, you know, this climate. Well, it's like in Los Angeles, just a little bit of rain throws them all into a tizzy. Yeah. So, you know, it's all we yeah. get accustomed to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So those you know who have watched the show certainly know what a huge Ohio Players fan I am, going all the way back, um, you know, to as early as I could get into it, given you know uh, when I grew up. But uh, from you know skin tight on forward, and then moving back to the history, and uh, you know it's such such a thrill to have you on and and to talk Ohio Players history. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me, man. Thank you, I appreciate it. You know, there's some things about Ohio Players history that uh, there's a few chapters that they may say, um, oh, looks like we skipped over those chapters, you know, uh, but they exist, you know. <laughs> there's some things that exist that haven't been written, you know. So um, maybe some of those I can expose today, you know. <laughs> we'll give it a try. We'll give it a try. Yeah. yeah. So, Chet, for you personally, though, um, you're, are you from Dayton originally, and how did you? Yes, first I get am. In? Yes, I'm from Dayton, Ohio. Mm -hmm. and, now, I wasn't I wasn't born there, but I was raised there because uh, I was born in Louisiana. But six months after I was born, they tell me my my uh, parents moved to Dayton, Ohio, and so I spent the rest of my life there up until 20 years ago. You know. And and how and when did you first get into music, and was it originally guitar? Um, yes, it was originally guitar, Scott. You know, I I um I got into music at a very young age. You know, there's a, I, I tell people this story that there used to be a TV show that came on years ago when we were kids in the fifties and sixties called the Mickey Mouse Club, hmm. and and they had merchandising back then. They had like you know the caps and what have you, but they also sold something called a little Mickey Mouse guitar. And my parents bought me one of those when I was about seven years old. And I uh, promptly tore it up, 
you know. But then I didn't tear it up to the point where I couldn't uh, actually, my bad, actually deal with it anymore. Um, what I did was uh, learn how to to uh, take some rubber bands and put them on this guitar and actually tune them. There's two rubber bands that I put on this guitar, this little Mickey Mouse guitar, and I learned how to play uh, the blues on two strings as a kid. So I, I started playing guitar, you know, early in life. You know, I'd say seven, seven or eight years old, I was, you know, I was hooked. I, I think I came, you know, I came to this world wanting to be in music. So, yeah, I was hooked. So when they say as a derogatory term, a Mickey Mouse uh, guitar, that's <laughs> not the case for you. It worked for me, man. You know, you know, I you hear that term, that term. Where'd you get that Mickey Mouse guitar? Well, yeah, I had one. You know, I wish I had it right now because it would probably be worth something. You know. Yeah. Yep, it probably would. But um, that's how I got started in this. You know. So when did you get you know your first you know true guitar and really start getting deep off into it? You know, uh, um, there was. Uh, a friend of my dad's who noticed that uh, uh, he said, you know, he, he used to tell my dad, he said, you know, that little guy can, he's pretty good on that Mickey Mouse guitar there, that thing. And so this friend of my dad happened to have an acoustic harmony guitar, beautiful harmony guitar, and he let me have it. And the guitar was so big until, you know how the hump is in the guitar and what have you. I couldn't. I couldn't. I had to play the guitar up near the front of the the, uh, the round on on the body because I wasn't big enough to actually hold the entire guitar, you know. And I learned how that was my first actual real guitar that I ever had, and I was probably about eight or nine years old at that particular time, you know. But uh, um, that started from that particular point on, you know. Uh, um, went from that acoustic guitar uh, to uh, getting electric guitars, you know, and um, my folks uh, did the best that they could as far as, you know, helping me along and nurturing my situation as far as me being interested in music and um, any and everything that they could do, you know, to uh, help my situation as far as uh, uh, guitars and little amps and things like that. Uh, they got for me yeah and i was fortunate enough to uh, have friends who you know who uh, were actually friends of my dad and what have you who had musical instruments like guitars and other things they gave me these things you know there's a guy by the name of um stephen shockley who plays guitar for lakeside mm -hmm. you know he says that uh, uh he saw me playing a white Fender Stratocaster, and that did it for him. You know, it made him want to play guitar, you know, and he said, but he wanted his mom to get him a guitar like the one that I had. And he said that when she saw how much it cost, he said, well, we won't get that. But little did everybody know that I didn't buy that white Strat Stratocaster that I had. It was given to me, you know. So I was fortunate, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, of course, 
someone who also made that famous was Jimi Hendrix. And I wore this. That's right. I don't know if you can see, I wore this for you today. <laughs> okay. uh, unfortunately, I don't have an Ohio Players hoodie, so I, I tried to come close, but. You work. It works. It works. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. It absolutely works, man. Who Who are some of your uh, your your heroes uh, early on? Well, it just so happens that you have on a garment there that has one of my heroes on it: Jimi Hendrix, Wes Montgomery, Carlos Santana, people like that. You know. And the truth of the matter is, you know, anybody. Back when I was a kid, anybody that played guitar interests me because um, speaking of this particular band, there was a guy that lived down the street from where uh, my folks, where we lived back, back uh, in the 50s. His name was Robert Ward. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he played guitar and I was extremely interested in a guy that played guitar that lived on my street. So Robert Ward. Uh, Sugarfoot for sure, you know, as far as uh, influences and, you know, people that uh, uh, I would say were extremely influential in me dealing with playing guitar. But actually, by the time I had met Sugarfoot, I could already play guitar, you know, and he recognized that I could already play guitar. But, uh, you know, after meeting him, it was like, man, this is the most underrated guitar player I have ever met in my life. You know, but yeah, those those guys, Hendrix, Wes Montgomery, Carlos Santana, Robert Ward, Sugarfoot. I can uh, say, you that's know, quite a yeah. fivesome right there. Yeah. Yeah. So when you first uh, met or heard Sugarfoot, like whenabouts was that? Um, I think I first met Sugarfoot in 1968. Eight, somewhere around 67 or 68 because um, at the particular time being in high school we were ex we were fans of the Ohio players you know some of the guys uh, um, that went to this the uh, high school that I went to that uh, happened to be uh, in the band that I played in and Diamond was one of those individuals as a matter of fact we were fans of the Ohio players and somehow I got to meet Sugarfoot, and we became real good friends, you know. And uh, being friends uh, that we were, you know, I, I would uh, go by Sugarfoot's house and what have you, and we'd sit up and we'd, you know, uh, talk guitar and music and play, and he'd show me things and what have you. And, and I mean, we just spent a lot of time together doing stuff like that. So um, it was about 67 or 1968 when I first met him. And so um, at that particular time, you know, uh, Diamond and I happened to be in a band in Dayton, Ohio called the, the Majestics, you know, and that band, the Majestics, uh, changed the name to the Overnight Low, and then they became Sun, the group Sun, you know. But it's funny, that band, the Majestics um, slash Overnight Low show band, they used to call us the farm team for the Ohio players because Diamond came from the, uh, the Majestics. Marvin Pierce came from the, the Majestics. I came from the Majestics. Uh, 
two of the guys that used to work for us as far as road managing and roading uh, you came from the Majestics. All of us, you know, matriculated into the Ohio players for some reason. I think they, they saw that we were some guys that wanted to be like they were, and they recognized the fact that uh, uh, these guys were serious, you know. And so um, things, you know, uh, I guess, you know, that particular situation as far as growing up in Dayton, Ohio, first of all, was a uh, uh, thing that uh, as far as musicians was concerned, everybody wanted to be the best that they could, you know. And uh, we just had the opportunity to be able to uh, get into the Ohio players, you know. Did, did the Majestics themselves ever cut any records? Um, yes, they did, but it was so long ago. I think it was back either... It's funny you should say that, Scott, because my wife and I earlier today, we were moving stuff in the garage and we came across, we came across a 45 that we cut, the Majestics cut back in, I think it was 1970, and it was called The Witch Doctor Catches Jungle Fever, and actually... We hated the song, but we had to record it because there was a guy by the name of Henry Glover who uh, uh, actually signed us to our first publishing deal, you know, back then. And he wrote this song for us, and we were like, no, nah, we really don't like that song, but since it was going to be Henry Glover's song and, you know, he gave us the opportunity to record, um, that was the first uh, 45 that the... Um, first and only 45 that the Majestics did, actually, because we, um, you know, going through time, we changed our name to the Overnight Low Show Band and did a, a, a couple of things with Chess Records. And uh, after that, things switched over. Uh, um, Diamond was uh, gone. Marvin and Diamond had, had gone uh, to the Ohio Players. And then around 74, I came along, so, you know. And I remember, you know, I saw the band uh, probably first time was around 75 in California where I grew up, but places mm -hmm. like the Shrine Auditorium and the Pasadena Civic Center, yeah. some of those gigs. And I remember seeing you there. That's really where I first got exposed to you and uh, thinking, who is that guy? You know, because you weren't on yeah. the records yet. And, yeah, that's uh, right. and then being blown away because you could, tear up that guitar well thanks scott but you know that that's uh uh i think one of the reasons why they said um they wanted to get me uh i had been asked before by the players if i you know uh would join their group and i had turned them down because i felt like the overnight low you know had a shot at doing something and we did because they became sun you know after i i had left uh, um but uh, when I first got with the Ohio players, you know, there was a, a few years before people even uh, knew that there was another guy, you know, outside of the seven guys that they see on the album covers and, and everything. There was another guy that played guitar. And uh, for the most part, uh, I was, like Billy said, I was hired, you know, because they, Sugarfoot needed help, you know. And... Uh, they figured that uh, they'd get some help from me, and I'm glad they chose me, you know, in order to uh, do that. I mean, like I said earlier, I was a fan 
from from early on. So, you know, the music and what have you that they were playing, I already knew it because it was part of what I wanted to do. So I knew their stuff, you know. And me getting into uh, the Ohio Players was just a step to say, okay, now even you guys see, I know your stuff, so let's go play. But it took a minute because of, uh, I guess, some legal things and stuff like that got in the way and, you know, personalities and what have you. Before I actually showed up, you know, uh, um, on the uh, cover or got any credit for uh, actually playing guitar because I started uh, – working with the Ohio players in 74, you know, but I didn't really hit the stage with them until January 3rd, 1975. And what, what record were you heard on first? The first record that I was heard on was Contradiction. Don't, I don't have any credit, but that's the first record that I was heard on, you know, and, uh, the direct, next record after that was Angel, and um, I had a picture. You know, people thought that that picture was like a post-mortem picture of an individual because everybody else was on the cover. When you opened up the album and pulled out the sleeve, there was, a, you know, a picture like a postage stamp of me, you know, and this guy <laughs> who was, are we doing this, you know, posthumously for him or what, you know? But, <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember uh, seeing you on um, Mr. Mean, I think it was, and uh, saying, yeah. well, I guess they made him official, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, on that particular album cover, uh, our, our, our percussionist, uh, Robert Coomba Jones, he, he, he made it on that album cover, too, you know? Yeah. Both of us got... Uh, with the Ohio players actually to start performing in 75, you know? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I remember I was always a Sugarfoot fan, but then when oh, I saw man. the show and you were up there too, I had to really ask, I said, I don't know, he might be as good as Sugarfoot, you know? I mean, he's... <laughs> <laughs> they gave you some nice uh, spotlights, though, in the show. Yeah, they did, you know? And, uh, you know, I'm grateful, you know, because one of the things that they did recognize when they when uh, uh, they hired me was the fact that, you know, the band that I came from, the Overnight Low, I was, you know, basically the main lead singer for that particular group, even though I never considered myself to be a singer. I always considered myself to be a musician. And uh, I was, you know, I was uh, the guitar player for years, since 1964, you know. So um, as far as uh, uh, getting with the Ohio players and, and doing the kind of music that they did, I was, uh, I was already into that, you know. I mean, I think it was because of the fact that Dayton being the kind of place that it was, it, you know, uh, it's a patent place, you know, so to speak. And... Um, if you heard somebody doing something uh, anywhere in Dayton, Ohio, and it sounded like, man, I've never heard that before. Maybe we should jump on that and try to do it ourselves. You know, and uh, those are the kinds of things that we did. Uh, um, actually, all the way to the point of even being in the Ohio players, because those were some innovative guys, you know. I knew, you know, I already knew what Diamond was about because we go back to 1967, you know. Yeah, what? I already knew. Yeah. 
What, what was the first show that you played with them, and what was that experience like? Uh, Shucks, I think the first show was a show that I believe we did it. This show, it was either in. I'm trying to think. I know Rick James was on the show. I do know that. And I do know it was January 3rd because one of my best friends, Harry McLeod, that's his birthday. And he was working as uh, uh, one of the roadies uh, uh, in the band at the particular time also. Um, I think that show was either in St. Louis or Louisville, Kentucky. Since it was 40, 50 years ago, it's kind of vague in my memory, but I think it was then. And I do recall Rick James being on that particular show. Yeah, it was a great show, you know, first time for me, you know, playing in a situation where there was like thousands of people there, you know, because we played the uh, overnight low. We, we played, you know, in some places where there were like some huge crowds. But, you know, at this particular time, because the band was as hot as they were, and, you know, Rick James was hot too. So, you know, we were at some coliseum or some arena where, I mean, just thousands of people. And, you know, when you when you walk out of the dressing room into a big arena and the lights go up and you look and see, as far as you can see, there's people. It can be intimidating, but I actually, I actually loved it, you know, because I, I just love playing music, man, you know. What? What was it like um, kind of coming into that? Because, you know, you had the seven guys that were, you know, this tight kind of group, and at least musically, and that chemistry. Um, how did you kind of navigate your way into that mix? Um, as far as um, me dealing with what we, we did on, on, on a personal and, and let's call it a chemical level, me... Let's see, Diamond, Billy Beck, Sugarfoot. I had more of a personal uh, feeling with those three guys more so than I did with the rest of the guys. Uh, the the older guys, they were a little bit, you know, Satch, Pee Wee, and Marshall. They were just a little bit, I would say, they weren't standoffish. But they were like, let's see if this guy can really do what he, they, they say that he can do. And uh, Billy Beck and Diamond and Sugarfoot, they were already sold. They said, yeah, that's why we're behind it. We know he can do what we say he can do. And so um, we worked it out, you know, down through the years. But some of that had to do with the fact that I wasn't on the first uh, uh, records, even when I had showed up, you know, because when I showed up, they were recording fire. And they had done skin tight, you know, and that next record was going to be fire. And the truth of the matter is, is some of the things that, that the, uh, the band was, uh, was doing at the particular time, as far as, you know, just uh, rehearsing and, and, um, you know, sitting around practicing and stuff like that. You know, I was involved in some of that, you know. I was involved in things, you know, um, as far as working in the studio long before I showed up on an album cover. You know, I had played some things, you know. Uh, um, there were some tracks and what have you that had guitar on them that people thought was Sugarfoot, and it was actually me. Well, like you know? something like It's Hell? I mean, is that... 
back then, absolutely. Yeah, I'll tell you one song that came, came along a little later um, that was, um, it's funny, um, the Staples Singers, Pop Staples used to have a lick that he played. And when I was a kid, I used to love that little lick that he played because it was a gospel song. And I took that lick and sort of sped it up and turned it into what became Hoochie Coo. Mm -hmm. Now, people, most people thought that Sugarfoot had lifted this lick from Pop Staples. And I, I used to tell them, I said, no, Sugarfoot didn't take that. I stole it. <laughs> I'll be frank. I stole that from Bob Staples. And that lick became the lick uh, in Hoochie Coo, you know. But uh, me and, and playing with the players, you know, I could say, you know, it's the best thing that ever happened to me as far as, you know, me and my music, musical career is concerned, you know. I had probably some of the, uh, the best days of my life have been spent with the Ohio players, you know. And still, we're still doing stuff. You know. Well, even some of the best moments of my life listening to it. So, All right. Um, okay. But okay. on that Hoochie Coo, it's not just that lick. It's all the, like, uh, riffing that's going on. Oh, oh you know. just all, all over the place. And see, that's the one thing about the players that, that, that I used to love. And I think that's, you know, uh, um, what they were about. They, you know, they just, like, go into the studio the tape was always running. And so, you know, if anybody came up with something and they started, you know, uh, we started to jam and it felt like something, then, you know, we just work with it. And, you know, sooner or later, sometimes, you know, with editing and all that kind of stuff, it became a record, you know. So when, when, you, when you were hanging around, they were doing fire. Were you like thinking, wow, they are onto something? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, well, to tell you the truth, uh, Scott, we thought these guys were on to something when they did pain. When they did pain, you know, the rest of the city was like, uh oh, the players have done something now. But the truth of the matter is, is I, I was aware of the Ohio players back when they uh, uh, were uh, working behind Wilson Pickett. You know, the uh, four original guys, Sugar, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Pee Wee, Marshall, and Satch, and I think Robert Ward at the time, they were working behind uh, Wilson Pickett, you know. And I was aware of, of, of music that they had done um, before that huge skin tight ever happened, you know, because they had done three or four records that got released on Westbound, you know. And I was aware of all of those records and uh, the groups that I played in. We, on occasion, we would play a couple of those songs, you know, uh, that the uh, players had done. But um, from the time from from the uh, release of Sugarfoot, that was it, it. Just shifted. Everything shifted to a whole new level, and I think that was because of the fact that um, Billy and Diamond and Sugarfoot were just allowed to be themselves, you know. And what hellacious selves they are. <laughs> did, did you know Junie at all? Yes, I did. I went to school with Junie. 
Yeah, he, he uh, we went to a school called Roosevelt High School back in Dayton, Ohio. And uh, Junie, I think Junie graduated from Roosevelt a year after I did. But Junie was a genius, too, just like Billy Beck. These, you know, I, I, I've never had a chance to actually work with, with uh, Junie as far as doing anything on stage or live like that. But we have done things, you know, with Junie. We've recorded with him and things like that, you know, back in the day. And um, I knew these guys, you know, like I said, Dayton was Peyton Place, a small place. So, you know, if if you happen to be in the music business, and we all were, we considered ourselves to be, that, you know, we knew who everyone was, you know. Yeah. You know, when you got with the group, I know that you ended up doing a lot of the backing vocals along with Billy and Diamond. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was, along with Sugarfoot's incredible lead vocals, and sometimes Billy a little on the lead, and I guess Diamond maybe a little lead. Even you did some lead from time to time. Yeah, yeah. as a matter of fact, I did get, I got pushed into doing a song on one of our records called uh, Time Slips Away. Yeah, a Jazzy Lady. Yeah. Yeah. That was, a, yeah, that was a situation where I wasn't expecting Sat said, go out there and sing. And I was like, well, I haven't written the lyric or anything. Go out there and sing. You know? <laughs> and that's the way they work, you know. And they would say, hey, can you do so-and-so? And the guy would say, yeah, I can do so Go out there and do it, you know. And, and it was like, well, man, I, I don't have any lyrics. I don't have, I haven't even thought past me playing my guitar on this. I haven't thought of anything else. And it was almost like, you best go do it. You better go do it because, you know, you could possibly not have a job if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> you, you snuck it in on their final Mercury record. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. But the background vocals, I was trying to make a point of were as distinctive as anything else and unlike anyone else, you know, the way they were done and arranged and all that. Yeah. Um, so what was it like, you know, being part of that being brought together and created, you know what I mean? Like the way that came together and and ended up being what it was. Well, you know, um, the fact that Diamond and I already had history and, uh, working with Billy Beck, you know, um, far as us singing together oh man it you know we we it was almost like uh it 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 was meant to be you know because um we it's funny i could at the particular time i could sing a very white bass and um almost a mariah carey soprano so i had a range you know and but like I said, I never considered myself to be a singer, but I had a range, and I, I could hear well enough to know when I was in and out of key, and so could Beck and Diamond and Sugarfoot, and and there was never a time where they was they were saying like Chet, you're not in key, you're not trying. you know. We were always, you know, we always happened to be able to uh, hit right what it was that we wanted to do, you know, when when it was just Beck and Diamond. It was two-part harmony, but there's always that other voice that made that three-part harmony happen. And when I, I guess when I got there, you know, it just happened like that, you know. And 
thank God that it did, you know. I mean, I had a good time dealing with those particular guys because, you know, they did everything as far as studio-wise that I, you know, really wanted to do. And, we, you know, we had, a, we had a real good blend, you know, of, of uh, personalities and musicianship, you know. Um, you know, Sugar had that habit of uh, cupping his ear. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, is that yeah. just something that he had developed as a habit, or was he having a hard time uh, knowing he was in tune? You know, uh, uh, a lot of singers and musicians, we would notice back, uh, Junie used to do this also. He'd stick his finger in his ear because you have a head voice and you have a chest voice, you know. And when you put your finger in your ear, you can hear where you're singing, you know, so as to be in key and what have you. And so I think Sugarfoot did that, you know, just to make sure that he was on track and in key and doing what it was that he was supposed to be doing also. But uh, we noticed that about singers and and, uh, and players back then, that uh, if they want, if you want to hear what it is you're really doing, stick your finger in the ear and sing. You'll hear your head voice, you know. Well, go ahead and tell, tell the people, tell the viewers what some records might be that you're on that maybe they wouldn't know. Okay. Um, I'm on Hoochie Coo, of course. I'm on a, I'm on a, a couple of records on um, um, the Contradiction album. Um, Little Lady Maria. On the Angel album, I'm playing on Angel. I'm basically on the Angel album. I'm probably playing on every song on the Angel album, and several songs on the um, Contradiction album. I'm playing on now things that happen with Fire and Honey. Um, I um, had the chance to go to the studio. But I, my uh, my particular uh, uh, things weren't uh, they weren't tracked at the particular time, you know, and that had something to do with uh, the way Satch wanted things done, and, and you know, as long as we were able to make music and go to work and you know at least come home happy, that that worked for me, you know. But you could probably hear some of the most guitar playing that probably stood out is on Angel. You know, because there's Angel, there, Angel is a long track, and there's some parts down through it where, you know, Sugarfoot and I are actually trading licks back and forth, but people wouldn't know it because, you know, we played just like we were one at times, you know. Yeah, I was going to ask if yeah. there's a way that people might be able to kind of pick out, you know, what might be you or what might be Sugar. Yeah, well, you know, when Sugarfoot started to scat, you knew that was him, you know, because I, I, they tell me I have guitar lips, but I, but, but I never scat, you know. But when Sugarfoot was scatting, basically that was him, you know. And I, I could um, basically, um, we just except for when Sugarfoot got into his jazz riffs, we were toe-to-toe, -to -toe, you know, because um, when they talk about funk and, you know, the R&B and stuff, uh, uh, 
my blood, send my blood. You know, I could, you know, I was, I was right up there with them, you know. Are you playing the rhythm part on like soul merry-go-round or is that? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, you know, and um, all of those things, man, you know, they, they're just uh, a great time. You know, I think the 70s was a great time to be alive playing music, you know. Shucks, a great time to be alive listening to music, you know. And um, I'm so fortunate that, you know, uh, that particular time in my life led me into that, you know. Do you, do you have a um, a show, one or two shows, or, or memories from touring with the Ohio Players in the '70s that stands out? That you know, like you'll never forget for whatever reason you could share. I can tell. Uh, um, there's a few, and you know, they 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 rush into your mind as 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 I try to recall them. I can recall playing at Meetem, over in Cannes, France. And the first time I'd ever seen Sha Na Na before, you know, and I mean, there was everybody who was anybody at that particular time in the world at Meetem, you know, at, at the Meetem Festival. And um, playing that particular show was one that, that stands out in my mind because there were so many top-notch, uh, number one, you know, uh, entertainers that happened to be uh, at that festival at that time, you know. Another one was um, the uh, rock concerts, Don Kirshner's, mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, the Midnight Special, you know, stuff like that we used to do. I know, um, I think early on when I got with the Ohio Players, early on we did, we did the full, I think, Midnight Special or, or Don Kirshner's rock concert we did it at the uh, Chicago University. Uh, um, I forget. It was up in Chicago at one of the universities. I don't know if it was Northwestern or something. But we did the entire hour, hour and a half that night. And it was a blast. I mean, it was an absolute blast, you know. Um, for one, being on TV, you know, because there's a few times that we've been on TV. But this was like, you got the whole thing tonight, you know. So that was great. That was one I could remember. I can tell you recently there was a show that I can remember that really felt good. I mean, this was like maybe two years ago. As I don't know if you can see behind me on the wall, there's a poster. Let's see. And you yeah. see that poster back there? August we were, 20, yeah. Yeah, we were at the... Uh, uh, um, Hollywood Bowl. And man, that show, I mean, it was a sold out show. Actually, we weren't headlining or anything because I, I believe um, it was a jazz show that we were on. But that particular night, we took, we took that show, you know. And it was great because, you know, you're looking in the Hollywood Bowl and, you know, our, 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 we're doing I Want to Be Free. And it seems like Everybody in the place had their lighter lit up. So it was just a sea of lights, you know. And it was like, man, this is great. I, you know, I, I, I've died and gone to music heaven. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's a great venue too. Just that whole yeah. oh, environment. We, we've done it a couple times, you know. Yeah. And strange enough, it's been here within the last se several years that we've done the Hollywood Bowl, you know. Yeah. Chet, what can you tell us about a few of these guys, like a Sugar or a Diamond? Um, what is so special about their talent, their gift that they've had? Um, Sugarfoot, like I said, he, he was the most... In my mind, he was the most underrated guitar player that ever lived. And most people didn't know, you know, for as much as they knew about Sugarfoot's plan. And they didn't know that Sugarfoot was as good as he was, really. Because he, he, he could play some jazz guitar that was out this world. You know, as a matter of fact, when I first met Sugarfoot, he taught me how to use my baby finger a little bit more because I was a guitar player that I was definitely R&B and funk. And so, you know, I'm playing the guitar and I, 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 um, I played my guitar like it was, uh, uh, I beat my guitar up, you know, and uh, Sugarfoot used to tell me, he said, man, you know, use that little finger of yours is going to expand what it is that you're doing. So try to do that more. And I did. Learned a lot. You like I said once again, one of the greatest guitar players that never got his due, as far as I'm concerned. Billy Beck is just straight up genius. You know, he was. I mean, you know, he's classically trained and all of that stuff, but he's just a genius. I've never met a keyboard player, and I played with a lot of keyboard players, but I've never met a keyboard player that inspired you. I mean, when Billy Beck plays with you, it's almost as if you want to be better because he's so good, you know. And Diamond, you know, Diamond and we, we go back a long ways. I've always known that Diamond was, was good, you know. He's one of those drummers. Uh, he's an ambidextrous guy, you know. I said, man, how can you do all these things, hands, feet, and sing, you know? How can you do that? He's a man that just comes out, you know. <laughs> and... and Great guy, you know, great guy. I mean, you know, Diamond and, and Beck and I, we, you know, we uh, formed uh, uh, that conglomeration that we called Shadow there for three albums, you know. Good time, too. You know, these guys are some of the best guys as far as musicians that I know. And we've got some extremely talented guys that are playing with us right now. But... Uh, you know, Diamond and Beck, they're my guys, you know, they're my guys. I just, I have to mention uh, for viewers to check out the Shadow Records, especially two tracks that are just favorites of mine, the really funky ones, of course, were Shadow in the Streets and uh, Sinister Way. Yeah, 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 Sinister Way. Leon Ware produced that for us, you know. Yeah, Sinister Way. That should have been a hit, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you don't, you learn, you know, that there's a politics and business going on, you know, around talent. You know, talent sometimes get pushed to the side, you know, because of what kind of business a company has to do, you know, things like that. But um, had great time doing it, you know, had a great time doing it, you know. 
There's much more to this great Truth and Rhythm interview. Just continue on to the next part of the episode. Also, be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. And become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you very much.